Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored by Novel Gazing, Book Riot's new literary fiction podcast. Novel Gazing is your destination for all things literary fiction, bringing you news from the world of fiction and recommendations for under-the-radar reads, works in translation, buzzy books, and more. Stay in the know, expand your TBR and your view of literary fiction, and of course, have some laughs with hosts Mary Kay McBrayer and Louise Johnson. Novel Gazing is a bi-weekly show available wherever you get your podcasts. Go listen to episode one now. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 70, and we're recording on January 10th. It's our first episode of 2020. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're talking about our anticipated sequels of 2020. Hooray! So excited. I am too, and I'm sorry, everyone, because I'm sick. So I'm going to try not to cough in your ears. But I'm really looking forward to talking about some of my most anticipated sequels. There are a lot of good ones out this year. Yeah, there really are. It was hard to narrow it down. <laughs> it was. I actually did. I ha- I will let everybody know about the trials of my narrowing down process when we get to it. <laughs> Excellent. I can't wait to hear about that. <laughs> oh, so we had some reader feedback or reader. We had listener feedback. I don't know why I put that in there as reader. <laughs> you're not reading this podcast. You're listening to it. So Lauren sent in what she's got her eyes on in 2020, which included upright Women Wanted by Sarah Gailey, Afterland by Lauren Bucus, and The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. Lauren, thank you for noting those because I had somehow missed that Lauren Bucus and Stephen Graham Jones had new books coming out this year. So that is super duper exciting to me. I did too. I saw that. And I, I was like, how did I miss this? And I right. read the I read the synopses and I was like, I have no recollection of having come across no. these, but but hooray. <laughs> I know. Hooray. Indeed. Um, if you have any desire to send us what you're excited about in 2020, you can shoot us an email at sffyeah at bookriot.com. We would love to see it and share it with our other listeners. All right. So before we get into news, let's talk about a sponsor. This episode is sponsored by The Night Country by Melissa Albert from Flatiron Books. And I know that Sharifa, among many others, is a mm-hmm. huge fan of <laughs> Melissa Albert's first book, The Hazel Wood. And this is the sequel, the highly anticipated sequel. In the night country, Alice Presser Pine is headed back into a menacing, mesmerizing world of dark fairy tales and hidden doors. You can follow her and Ellery Finch as they learn the Hazel Wood was just the beginning and that worlds die not with a whimper, but with a bang. So it is on sale now, and you can get your grabby little hands on it wherever you get your books. And I'm sure you will all join us in the excitement of having that available. So thank you again to The Night Country and Flatiron Books for sponsoring the show. That's next on my TBR. 
Yay! <laughs> All right. So let's see. News. I am going to go first. And the first thing I want to say is that the Hugo Awards nominations are open. Yes. If you have forgotten, um, the Hugo Awards are nominated and voted on by the sci-fi fantasy community, which can include anybody who is a supporting member. And uh, I like I am. It was 50 bucks. And you like fill out a little form online and then they send you the nomination form and there's amazing like spreadsheets and wikis out there to help you know what's eligible each year which is fantastic and the nomination period is when you know they get the titles for consideration and then it gets narrowed down and then everybody votes so the nomination period closes on march 13th 2020 uh there's a link gonna be a link in the show notes about uh the hugo awards and how you can sign up to be a member and find more information and i'm so excited it was so much fun participating in this last year and like i don't know it just it's like sort of a lovely thing to be able to vote on yeah i talk about anticipated things the hugo award nominations are one of the things i really anticipate every year just because i'm really curious to see which titles really resonated with Mm. science fiction and fantasy readers every year because sometimes it's there are titles that I literally have never heard of. And sometimes I'm like, I want all of these people to win because I love all of their books and everything they do. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what's on the nominations list upcoming. Yeah, very same. And obviously, it's not without controversy. There have been some notable voting shenanigans yes. <laughs> over the past, you know, five or so years. But last year, I think, went pretty smoothly from what I understand. They've made some updates to how nominating and voting works to take care of some of that stuff. So in any case, yes, the Hugo Award nominations are now open. Exciting, everybody. Vote. Um, okay, I am next up, and I've got some, I'll start with the relatively older news. It's not older, it it happened actually before we went on break um, during mid-December, but this is, this was some news that has been around for a while just because it was one of those rumored things that might happen. So the Snow Crash TV series adaptation is finally happening. There's been talk for I don't know how many years about a Snow Crash adaptation. I remember one of our earliest recordings, I was talking about something potentially happening and then it completely dropped off the radar and it seemed like it wasn't going to happen. So for those, if you haven't heard of Snow Crash, it's kind of a a science fiction classic I've talked about um, on the podcast I think once at least, and it's by Neil Stevenson. And it's this really, I really loved it. It it was sort of like one of those eye-opening sci-fi books for me that taught me that I really loved science fiction um, and definitely certain types of stories. And it's just, as you can imagine, if you've ever read anything by Neil Stevenson, it's it's very saga-like. It's a huge book. There's lots to work with, so I always thought it would be a good fit for an adaptation. But I suppose, as with as happens with lots of adaptations, there's funding issues and whatnot. But now it's finally going to happen. It's going to be a TV series on HBO Max, and it is going to come from 
Michael Bacall, who's going to be the writer on the show. Michael Bacall did 21 Jump Street. And the person who was originally attached to the adaptation rumors, Joe Cornish, who did Attack the Block. So that was his directorial debut. He's had a hand in some science fiction um, shows. So he's still attached to it. So I'm really excited to finally see this happen. This news is, I mean, the news of this and the adaptation is fairly recent, so we don't have uh, casting news about this yet. But I'm really curious to see who's going to play hero protagonist. I don't think, like, I feel like they know at this stage <laughs> that uh, the hero protagonist has to be a person of color because he's literally described as a person of color in the book. So <laughs> I'm really, like, I, I'm antsy about it, but I, I have faith that that we are at a place now where that's not going to be something I have to worry about. I'm also really curious about how they're going to deal with the other character, YT. She's uh, young. I think in the book she was in her teens, but there were some things where I, I feel like it could potentially get squicky. So I am, I don't know how I'm going to watch this. I don't have HBO, but <laughs> find a way just so I could make my judgments because I really enjoyed this book when it came out. And I think as of right now, I'm trying to see if there's any news about when it's actually going to be released, uh, but I don't see an actual date. So once I know more about it, we will probably, I'll probably bring it up, I'm sure. But that's exciting for me, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was excited to see that uh, Angela Robinson is the co-showrunner along yes. with Bacall. And she is uh, a woman of color and a queer woman. So that's super exciting to me to see, uh, you know, that there's going to be hopefully some diversity in terms of who's in charge of putting this on the page, because that often results in a much more inclusive representation once it's on the screen. So fingers crossed for that. This is going to be I my like shameful sci-fi confession is I've never read this book. I've read oh. other Neil Stevenson. <laughs> I just haven't read this one. So I am going to this will be like a good little push that I need to read it before I get anywhere near an actual episode. But it is just in development at this yeah. point. So we have we have some time. You we have, have time. time. We have yeah. so many we haven't read this. <laughs> like we don't even have to Well because we're only human, right? Like <laughs> we this are. is just this is just the reality. <laughs> uh speaking of things that are in development I like don't even know what to do with myself. The Willow series that has been talked about. And just to clarify, we're not talking about Willow from Buffy here. We're talking mm -hmm. about Willow as in the old movie with Warwick Davis and Val Kilmer that came out like in yeah late 80s. Uh, they're going to do a TV show, which is bananas to me, but it's happening. It's going to be on Disney+. Plus. And uh, Warwick Davis is, like, on board to be part of it, which is amazing. Um, and I think Ron Howard is also still involved. Like, the news yeah. is still a little bit 
unclear, but they have started. It's in pre-production. John Kasdan, who is the producer, like posted a photo saying the office is open on Twitter. So like it's definitely happening. Things are happening. And I I both do and do not want to rewatch Willow now because I'm so nervous that, you know, I saw it as a kid like a billion times. And I just wonder how well it holds up because I have so much nostalgic love for it. I don't know. What do you think, Sharifa? I feel the same way. I feel like I probably watched it again more recently in my 20s because I got the DVD a long time Mm. ago because I'm obsessed with the movie as well. And I think even back then, I wouldn't necessarily have been able to pick out some like you know, if there were some problematic elements or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I have also not watched it, but I sort of, I almost can't resist a rewatch. Yeah. Even though I'm terrified because I just want to remember all the little details before this comes out. And also, I have been lagging on trying to find my way to Disney+. Plus, <laughs> But it's funny, not even like Star Wars stuff could get me to do it, but... Willow will absolutely force my hand because there's (laughs) there's no way I can miss out on this. I have to see this. Maybe we should do a special episode of a Willow rewatch. That might be a thing that can happen. Okay, next up, there's more adaptation news. This is actually more casting news about Shadow and Bone, which if you don't remember was taking Shadow and Bone as well as, what was the other one? Six of Crows. So the TV series is going to combine both. And now we have more casting news that they've casted seven more. So there are seven more actors that have been cast. And I have not heard of any of them, but they sound great. And one of them is from Killing Eve, which has been on my watch list forever. So I am excited about all of these actors, especially because this cast, is looking very diverse. Um, it looks like there's one person of color on the list, uh, which I'm I'm just glad whenever that happens. And I remember in Six of Crows, there was definitely diversity. I can't remember. I read Shadow and Bones so long ago. I can't remember how much diversity there was in that book, but it doesn't matter. Like, just put the brown series and uh, put the brown people in this series and I'm going to be excited but um, it's coming from Eric Heiser who did Bird Box which was also an amazing adaptation and there was actually already an announcement of some of the other actors which I mentioned on a previous episode so I don't know I'm just loving all of the news about Shadow and Bone and I really can't wait to see how they realize that whole world in the Grishaverse Yeah, I, and this is another one I need to finally read these books before I ever watch an episode. And it's going to be on Netflix, so that's even extra dangerous. I have no, it'll be right in my face when I sign in, probably. So have to get working on that. I know. I know you and Amanda for years have just been telling me and other people how much I should read it. And one day I will get to them one day, I swear. (laughs) I have faith. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that takes care of our news. Mm -hmm. And now we get to talk about our anticipated sequels. 
So I had some trouble with the anticipated sequels just because I thought that the fantasy part, which I will get to later, was going to be so easy. <laughs> it was easy first when I thought that one book was a sequel that turned out to be a standalone. It was not a sequel. So, and then the other book I was going to choose uh, was uh, our sponsor. So that didn't work out. <laughs> so it took me a while to get that. But my first pick is my science fiction pick, which was super easy. It was Harrow the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. And you've all heard us talk about Gideon the Ninth or, you know, rave about it. So I absolutely put the sequel on my list and on my uh, TBR. And originally I was going to read it right away, but I have my new system now, so I'm sticking to it. <clears throat> and it's going to be really difficult. <laughs> but Gideon Ninth was the first book in the series. It's this page turner of a queer necromantic mystery in space. This is a science fiction book that I could not put down, and it left me in a certain way. <clears throat> I was just desperate for the next book. So the first story follows Gideon Nav of Mysterious Lineage, who's stuck in the Ninth House, where she's basically treated like gum stuck to the bottom of a boot. And the Ninth, the ninth House is this sort of nunnery where necromancy is practiced. <clears throat> And high up the seat of leadership is Harrowhark, the only daughter to the rulers. And Harrowhark and Gideon are like oil and water, if oil and water could beat each other bloody. So it's really something when they have to pair up on a mission at the emperor's house to test their skills against the other houses. And what happens then is this mystery where the competitors from the houses are picked off one by one, leaving them all to wonder, like, who's doing the mystery? Uh, who's doing the murder? And who's suspect? Like, everybody is, is possible as a suspect. So this book brought me a lot of unexpected joy. There were a lot of surprises. It was like unpeeling an onion in a lot of ways. And there were also some unanswered questions, which is why I'm itching to read the next book. It was also very brawly. It couldn't not be brawly with a character like Gideon who tends to solve problems with brute force and fly into action at the drop of a dime. But the fight scenes were really involved and really gory, and it was all very visual and had all the fun of watching a really great horror flick, except there was lots of comedy as well. And I've definitely missed these characters. I can't wait to find out what happens next. And again, I've been talking about Hero the Ninth by Tamsin Muir which is the second book in the Locked Tomb trilogy, <clears throat> out way too far in the future on June 2nd. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. Seriously. I, I can't wait. To, I'm so curious what is going to happen in Harrow the Ninth because, you know, Gideon the Ninth ends in such an intense Ugh. way. And it's just, oh, it's just, yeah, I'm really really so curious to see what that's going to be like. Uh, so my first science fiction pick is the third book in the Cass Russell series. It's Critical Point by S.L. Wong. And this is such a fun series. I have talked about it before, I do believe, on this show. And it is about, as you might expect from the series name, a woman named Cass Russell. She is a sort of super math genius, like to the point where she can dodge bullets because that's how good at math she is. 
and she's a mercenary. And when we meet her in the first book, she is very much a loner and, you know, is fine that way. Like she's she's fine. She doesn't know basically anything about her own history. And she's also fine with that. And she, as the book goes along and as the series goes along, she gradually starts to build more relationships and also get in increasingly complicated situations. There's conspiracies. There's other superpowered humans. There are government issues. There are lots of fight sequences and all kinds of just bananas plot points. And there's a couple of things going on arc-wise over this series, including that Cass has started to remember some things that were erased from her mind about her past, but it's not doing good things for her. She's sort of losing herself in this process. And she's also making decisions about, you know, who to help, who to stop, who's right, who's wrong, that are not always solid, as she discovers. And so, you know, when you have superpowers, right, with great power comes great responsibility. She's trying to navigate that responsibility and her own sort of hazy moral code and, and you know, learn how to be a person who other people like and talk to regularly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's really not good at people. And uh, and so it's been really amazing to sort of watch her personal arc over the course of the two books, uh, both of which I've read. I will say that the second book got super dark and I wasn't quite prepared for it. So like there's some emotional heavy lifting in there, just FYI. And so in this third book, a demolitions expert is targeting Cass and her friends, and the conspiracy about her past is on, you know, is starting to reappear. And so I am sure that in this third book, we will hopefully finally find out exactly what lies in Cass's past and then see what happens when she has to deal with it. Uh, there's so many great secondary characters in this book. It is or the series rather, and it is very inclusive. There's lots of different kinds of people. And I just I'm just so into it. It's also kind of fascinating because Huang, who's the author, was like a stunt double <laughs> along with like a math kind of person. Yeah. And so, you know, the action sequences are so much fun. I love a good action sequence and there are so many good ones in these books. So again, that is Critical Point by S.L. Huang and it is the third book in the Cass Russell series. I second the amazing action sequences. Oh, I so love good. them. Okay, so my next pick is a bit of a cheat, but not really because we didn't require that we read the first to anticipate the second. So I chose (laughs) Deathless Divide by Justina Ireland because I've had the first book on my TBR for such a long time. And knowing that the second is going to be out convinced me to finally get to reading the first book, which is Dread Nation. I've heard so many great things about Dread Nation, and the premise alone is just the best. This is that alternate history story following Jane McKean, who's living in Civil War era America. But in this America, the dead walk and Native and Black kids are sent to combat schools to fight the dead. And Jane is this Black girl looking for a better life. And on the surface, it seems like the way she's going to get that life is by training to protect the wealthy. But of course, 
no road is easy for brown people in America, and especially not in America where they're sent to fight the dead. And especially not when Jane finds herself in the middle of a conspiracy that puts her in the sights of powerful people. I didn't want to give too much away about the second book. It's always a little bit difficult because, especially when you haven't read the first book, I don't know how much of it is a spoiler. And I averted my eyes a little because I didn't want to spoil (laughs) any of it for myself as well. But the cover is gorgeous. The first book, the cover was amazing. And you should definitely check it out if you read Dread Nation. Just know that the second book is coming out as well. And when the first book came out, I was actually taking a break from zombie stories and said I'd return to it shortly, but you know how that goes. So I was definitely glad for the reminder that it's time I got to it. Thanks to the upcoming release of Deathless Divide, which continues Jane's story and will likely be waiting for me to read as soon as I'm done with the first book. And the only way it would have been better is if the series was completed. I couldn't tell if this was a planned trilogy, but it didn't sound like this was the conclusion. I could be wrong, though. But in any case, I'm really looking forward to finding my way to Deathless Divide again by Justina Ireland, which is the second book in the Dread Nation series out February 4th. Awesome. I forgot to say that my previous pick, Critical Point, is coming out in April. Its pub date is April 28th currently. Nice. Uh, yes. So my next pick, I actually, it's the third in a series, and I haven't read book two yet. So <laughs> we're both, you know, not not cheating on that. Uh, it's The Worst of All Possible Worlds by Alex White, which is the third in the Salvagers series. And the first book in this series I enjoyed so much. And these books have the best titles. The first one was called A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe. The second one is called A Bad Deal for the Whole Galaxy. And it's just, this is like that kind of a little bit cozy in terms of feelings, very wacky, lots of characters, sci-fi, that is just so much fun to read. And to top it off, and this is, you know, my personal catnip, the main one of the main characters, Nyla Brio, is like a like a spaceship car race driver. <laughs> she like they have they they have these like souped up fancy car races and she's one of the best drivers in the whole, you know, galaxy as it were. And I my fast and furious loving heart loves a female race car driver. So that is amazing, especially in a sci-fi universe like you're and and she's got auto mechanical magic like what it's amazing it's amazing so she is one of the main characters in the first book she ends up on the run for being framed for the murder of another racer and ends up teaming up with boots ellsworth who is a treasure hunter and con artist and a bunch of folks on a spaceship uh called the harrow or excuse me, no, that's not what that spaceship is called. <laughs> anyway, she teams up with a with a motley crew on a spaceship, and they solve a big mystery of where this famous warship, the Harrow, which disappeared like many many years ago, went and why it disappeared. And there were all kinds of shenanigans around that. I don't want to give too much of the plot away, but 
I loved it. It was such a fascinating cast of characters. The plot was so much fun. There was a lot of good action. There's a really interesting blend of tech and magic. I have this as my sci-fi pick because it does take place in space, but there's a really cool sort of give and take between the magic that various characters have and then the technology that surrounds them. I just, that's a combination. I just, I can't, I can't not love it, y'all. I can't not love it. So the third book, The Worst of All Possible Worlds, is coming out in July 28th, which gives me time to read the second one and get caught up. There are, uh, coming up in the series, there's alien technology. There's more sort of, you know, Motley Crue having to be on the run, which I love. There are new magics coming. There's all kinds of good stuff coming along the pipe. And yeah, I'm really, I was so delighted by this book when I first read it. And I kept meaning to get to the second one, but as is the way, I never quite got to it. So it's exciting to me to have two of these to look forward to in 2020. So again, that's The Worst of All Possible Worlds by Alex White, and it is the third in the Salvagers series. Arrow is the SFF word of 2020. It is! It is! (laughs) I've never heard it so much in my life. No kidding. Um, Okay, my first fantasy pick is one I've been waiting for because it completes the series. Hooray and Sad Face. Uh, I'm talking about Shadow Shaper Legacy, which is the third and final book in the Shadow Shaper cipher. And the story began with Shadow Shaper when Sierra, who's this high school student and very accomplished artist, discovers that her family legacy has more than she thought. Um, And with the help of her friends, she goes up against these dark forces to protect her family, her friends, her Brooklyn neighborhood. And I really fell for these characters from the jump. And I had so much fun reading about their antics. I can't remember if I've talked about Shadow Shaper on this show before, but I know I very recently talked about it on a um, a Backlist to the Future episode. But Sierra is just this character who's really thoughtful. She's this brave young woman, this brave, creative young woman. And I I just loved rooting for her, and I did from beginning to end. And her Brooklyn neighborhood really came to life through Daniel Jose Older's writing. And Shadow Shaper wasn't just a story about, you know, ghouls invading a neighborhood and friends banding together to do good. It was also about, you know, protecting and celebrating your culture and the place you call home. And all of the relationships in the book are so fully realized. I just wanted to follow this band of friends, you know, to the end. And I did talk about it on Backlist of the Future. So if you want to hear more about it, you can definitely check that out. Personally, I'm probably going to continue my tradition of reading this one on audiobook because that's how I read the first one. And it was such a great reading experience because Annika Noni Rose is back to finish the series. She did the first book. She narrated the first book. And she does such an amazing job of bringing the series and all of the characters to life. So if you're also sad about the series coming to an end, don't forget that there are a couple of supplemental stories out there if you haven't already read your way through Ghost Girl in the Corner, which is book 1.5 in the series. And then there's book 1.6, which is Deadlight March. 
And again, I've been talking about Shadow Shaper Legacy, which is the final book in the Shadow Shaper series or Cypher, which it's actually it was out January 7th. So you can pick it up today. And I definitely will be getting the audio book later today. <laughs> and those are by Daniel Jose Older, right? Yes, by Daniel Jose Older. Thank you. You're welcome. So excited that there are three books in that series. And I've only read the first one. So I have some catching up to do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My next pick is Storm Song by C.L. Polk. This is the second book in the Kingston cycle, and it is the sequel to Witchmark, which I know I have talked about on the show, and I talked about it quite a few times on Get Booked. Sorry, not sorry. This, I just fell so hard for this series, which takes place in a world that's sort of inspired by Edwardian England. And so it's a little bit, you know, like there's just, you know, there's like phones, as it were, and streetlights, and it's like kind of gas lampy. I don't know. Are there actually phones? There might not be phones. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. The point is, there's some like basic industrial technology, but not a ton. And it also takes place in a world where a world war has been ongoing for some time. And in the first book, we met Miles Singer, who was a veteran and a doctor, and he was working with uh, soldiers returning from the war who all had, a lot of them had this very strange form of PTSD that he thought might be magically inclined. But magic is very forbidden in this world, and only the like upper classes they secretly have it and use it, but anybody who are in lower classes who show signs of having magical ability are treated as insane and put in asylums. So it's a highly discriminatory world, and Miles is very undercover for lots of reasons that you then find out in the first book. And I do give warnings for the series for um, violence against women and children and PTSD. And it's but even though it deals with these like very serious topics, there's also a beautiful gay love story in the first one. There's elves, there's magic, there's people trying to do the right thing against all odds. It just has all of these amazing characters and such an amazing heart to the story. And I was really curious to see what was going to happen in the second one. And I've actually already read this. This was my first 2020 read. And it's so good, y'all. Uh, the second book follows Grace Hensley, who is uh, makes an appearance in the first book. And you don't like her very much, quite frankly. Uh, she is not anybody's favorite. Um, although, you know, she does eventually redeem herself a little bit in the first book. But this second book follows her story, uh, and it is so interesting. There's another wonderful love story, and Grace is a lesbian, so we get some lovely uh, ladies <laughs> in a love story, which is <laughs> just fantastic. And She's so interesting because she has had her privilege blinders on for so long, and she's just starting to sort of see what she's been missing and what she has overlooked maybe deliberately, maybe not deliberately. And she is a terrible father who has been manipulating her and like the whole country for years. And so she's working really hard 
to distance herself from this programming, this family programming. Also, these terrible storms are threatening the country, and she is a person who can wield magic, and she has a lot of it, and she's very good at weather working. So she's trying to make sure that the you know the country doesn't get overwhelmed by these storms. And then there's all these political shenanigans going on that she's very much involved in, and you really see her growing in a way that's not always comfortable or as quickly as you know we might like to see her grow but she's doing it and it's it's just it unfolds so well there is a murder mystery in here also there's a lot of interesting look at how political change happens and again big beating heart it's a such a big beating heart and there's so many great supporting characters who get even more airtime in this one which i was really delighted by so again that is storm song the second book in the kingston cycle by cl polk and that is out on february 11th uh, that's one i have to get to it sounds so good oh so much fun um so this is this is the fantasy pick where i had all my problems because i was trying to choose my last one <laughs> and i literally wrote all of my notes out for the night country before i realized they were the sponsor because I didn't want to be the most predictable in the world and choose the other book I had on my mind, which is, of course, Seanan McGuire's Wayward Children series. The next book is out this year. But my hand has been forced. So now I have to talk about Come Tumbling Down. And I did want to give a shout out as well to another sequel I'm excited about, but didn't include on the list because I couldn't include two series I haven't read yet, but I'm so excited about we Unleash the Merciless Storm by Taylor K. Mejia. I can't wait to read both that book and We Set the Dark on Fire. So I don't think I have to express how much I enjoyed the Wayward Children series. I definitely have favorites, and I'm really curious to find out where this fifth book is going to rank in my heart. And I have really high hopes because Down Among the Sticks and Bones is my favorite book in the series. And Come Tumbling Down returns my favorite character, which is Jack. And unfortunately, Jack isn't in the best shape. And it's time to go questing again, as you can imagine with these books. And there's a note of Beneath the Sugar Sky, which is book three in the series in this one, in that it hints at, you know, death's impermanence and a rescue mission to save what seems lost. I'm really curious about the different directions the story will take and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that Jack won't be kind of an absent rescuee during the whole story. I doubt it, but you never know. In any case, I'm really ready for another ride and I know I'm going to tear through this book. My read is actually overdue since it's already out, but these books are all novellas, so I imagine I'm going to finish this in a day or two and you might not know about the Wayward Children series. I enjoy reading them from start to finish um, in order, but you really, you don't necessarily have to. But I love Jack's character so much. I definitely recommend reading Down Among the Sticks and Bones first if you haven't gotten to that since she's coming back. So again, that was Come Tumbling Down by Shannon McGuire, which is the fifth book in the Wayward Children series. And lucky you, it's out. It was released on January 7th, which was a huge pub day. No kidding. Yeah, so many books. 
Um, my last fantasy pick is The Tyrant Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson, which is the third book in the Masquerade series. And y'all, I am so ready for this series to conclude and find out what the hell is going on. Like this series. Okay, I should start with there are lots of trigger warnings for this whole series and probably this third book. Um, Previous books had institutionalized homophobia, assault and rape, torture, violence and war crimes. Just like the whole. It's a lot, y'all. It's a lot. And the main character, Baru Cormorant, whose name is in all of the titles, grew up on an island that had been economically colonized by this empire, and she was sort of picked out by a political influencer as you know being very bright and 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 theoretically teachable and gets sent to an empire school and does really 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 well but as she is being educated she sees what the empire is doing to her home she loses her parents lots of horrible things happen and she decides that the way she's going to fight back is to get as much power within the empire as she can to then try to bring it down And it is really hard to read because she participates in atrocities on behalf of the Empire. And the Empire, as I said, includes things like institutionalized homophobia. And, you know, there's, like I said, war crimes. Like, it is... She goes dark places, so many dark places, to the point where you're like, how do I keep rooting for this person? And yet, there are these moments where you're like, I feel like I see a long game and I see you working to undermine things, but it's hard to know because she twists and turns and crisscrosses and double crosses and triple crosses so many times, it's impossible to know where she's headed at any moment. And it's incredibly emotionally complicated. And I kind of resent how into this series I am. I'm not going to lie, because it is really rough reading, but it's also so plotted and paced out. It's just almost impossible for me to look away having started it. And I am just dying to know what is going on and how this is going to end. And I feel like there's a lot of different ways that Seth Dickinson could take this, depending on how mean he has decided to be to his readers. So I'm a little apprehensive, but also very curious. And yeah, I sort of don't know what to do with myself about this series and how hooked on it I am. And I'm just like waiting to see how it all ends. So again, that is The Tyrant Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson. It's the third book in the Masquerade series, and it comes out on June 9th. And now we're done. (laughs) (laughs) And Sharifa does not have to talk anymore with her poor cold. But we did it. Thank you all for listening and for reading and watching along with us. If you have any feedback or any show ideas, themes that you want to see, special episodes that you'd be interested in, shoot us an email at sffya at bookriot.com. If you are also so inclined, we'd love a review on Apple Podcasts and or a rating. It helps other sci-fi fantasy fans to find the show. And we do love to see that feedback as well. You can find us online. Sharifa, where should people follow you? 
You can find me on Instagram. I'm at Williams. That's S-P-A-I-N-A-B Williams. How about you? I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. And on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>